Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 188. In this episode, we're talking about Barbenheimer, movie reviews of Barbie and Oppenheimer. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Brandon Hurlbert, Dr. Madison Pierce, and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So in this conversation, we're going to do a joint movie review of both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Of course, the famed name for the double feature, Barbenheimer. We're excited to talk about both of these films as films in their own right, but also together. And I think, you know, of course, the the humor of juxtaposing these films with their, you know, different different color palettes, right? The pastels versus the dark hues and kind of ostensible subject matter being so different. But what I loved about watching these movies was thinking about them together in, in particular. So I'm excited to to do that with, uh, with both of you. So as we get started, I think the only appropriate way to kick this off is to ask both of you guys, do you guys ever think about dying? Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my favorite line of the Barbie film. Uh, there's a lot to say about about that. I love, I love where the film ended up going. I was really surprised, uh, and I'm curious to start. You know, which which of these films did you guys watch first? Did you watch Oppenheimer first or Barbie? Because there was a, a a nice little debate about if you're going to do a double feature, which one should go first? And I was firmly in what I call the pre-barbarian camp, which is that you got to watch Barbie first so that the existential you know, dread of Oppenheimer stays with you. And what I was delightfully surprised by is that Barbie actually greets you with a lot of existential dread as well. So uh, which order did you watch these films? Yeah, we saw, we couldn't get a babysitter for like five and a half hours. And so we did Oppenheimer a couple of weeks ago and then saw Barbie um, just on Thursday, um, which was amazing. I like ducked out of work for a couple of hours. I mean, I didn't duck out of work for a couple of hours um, and uh, watch Barbie. And it, it was really interesting um, because I've definitely been sitting with Oppenheimer for a minute. So, yeah. I saw Barbie first um, and then Oppenheimer a few weeks later. Um, and I enjoyed both of them. Uh, for different reasons, but Bar- Barbie first, then Oppenheimer. So with that line, you know, do you guys ever think about dying? The, of course, the famous line of Oppenheimer, now I'm become death, the destroyer of worlds. Thinking about the themes of death in both these films, I think is is quite interesting. Is there anything that stands out to the two of you? Again, ostensibly, these films couldn't be further from each other in in so many respects, and yet they actually cover similar ground, surprisingly. What I find really interesting is um, Oppenheimer is about humans controlling death and this like agency and autonomy. And I mean, at least for some humans. Um, And then Barbie, uh, I mean, the (laughs) intro to feminism and all of that, you know, it was like, oh, thanks for seeing me. But the profound thing for Barbie or for me with Barbie was about humanity 
And so, and this is, I think what you're touching on, John. And so there it's like, no, this is what it's like for everyone. This is completely beyond our control. And so that's where I would see those themes kind of emerging is like, one is about this illusion of control and the other is just about the human experience. One of the connections I saw between the films was the, was the filmmaking and the craft of it. Both were excellent in my opinion. Um, Barbie was obviously lots of pink, and it was lots of fun, but the the there was a, a, a I was gonna say craftsmanship, but that sounds gendered, craftspersonship. Um, there was um, there was a craft uh, to the shots, the the music. It, it was the the acting. It was it was superb, and, and a similar kind of I'm gonna say craftsmanship. That's not oh gosh. Um, Just call it craftship. Get the man out of there. <laughs> craftship. <laughs> Um, but we see a similar skill in, in filmmaking um, uh, from Oppenheimer, but very there the the moods and the themes were very different. Uh, but we still saw a, a passion uh, from the filmmakers uh, that I think and and the actors as well. Well, on that point, Madison, about you know the control that uh, we see in Oppenheimer versus just the kind of like broad experience. Um, I think it's interesting to think about technology as well between both of these uh, films, because you know, obviously within kind of broader technological conversations, there's this idea that you know our technologies are really just tools, and you know they're they're neither good nor bad. It just depends on how you use them. And I think that kind of really flies in the face of something like you know <laughs> the bomb that Oppenheimer is is creating, right? Um, the argument that it's just a tool. I think there is kind of a sense of sort of the Frankenstein's monster thing of this, you know, this thing that I created to be a tool. Yeah, I mean a tool of mass destruction but to be a tool kind of you know got got beyond you know what what maybe the the creator had intended or at least there's this kind of like regret and remorse that becomes a big part of the kind of third act of of, of the film i think there's a similar dynamic in barbie as well right where this this intended technology right a doll but this intended technology got beyond what the creator had intended right there's this whole theme of the way it has affected women and how it has given them like undue anxieties about their bodies and these sorts of things, you know, and, and there's a similar kind of like disruptive technology in both of these films, you know, on different scales and in different ways, obviously, but there's this similar kind of idea of like, you know, our technologies actually aren't just tools that they have effects. They're not neutral. Right. And in both cases, we see actually some destructive elements to these uh, technologies. Yeah. And certainly here again, we see this like almost foil in the in the way that that theme plays out, because for Oppenheimer, it's a tool that I mean, could be neutral, but really it's intended for bad. And Barbie is you know, we could say neutral, but is intended for good, even if ultimately it plays this other role. I'm not really sure that I'm comfortable saying that the bomb uh, did something other than a, a accomplish a negative purpose, but I'm sure others will disagree. <laughs> not on this podcast, but. So I also think, you know, of course, the, the gender piece is huge for Barbie, right? And um it's not something that maybe you would you would you would think uh, straightforwardly is is also being addressed in Oppenheimer, and I don't know that it's actively being addressed. I sort of I sort of view the the, the juxtaposition of these two films as 
you know, Barbie is really all about patriarchy, like overtly in the text. Right. And I, it sort of seems like, you know, what, what Barbie is, is telling you about Oppenheimer is showing you in terms of the, the kind of patriarchy, right? You sort of see, you know, Barbie's critiquing what it's like when, you know, men rule the world and Oppenheimer is showing you what it's like when men rule the world, right? You don't see a lot of women in that film. And when you do, right, there's just like the one scientist in the group of um, of scientists who's a woman. Um, but every other woman is basically just a, a romantic affair for Oppenheimer. And they're very truncated characters, right? So you almost, the, the gender contrast is almost pretty, pretty um, striking. And that I think it's a problematic feature of Oppenheimer, but I feel like uh, that you would notice perhaps, uh, you know, in, in, in general that the, the women characters are flat and there are not a lot of women in, in the film. But I feel like coming out the same day as Barbie only highlights that fact, you know, at least for me and watching them back to back, it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is, this is uh patriarchy run amok. Yeah. I mean, I think for Oppenheimer, it was a complete waste of Florence Pugh's and um, Emily Blunt's skills. And it sucks because I, I they could have offered so much more to the story, so much more. Um, I, I mean, I think there's probably some people out there that want to talk about kind of historicity or or things like that. Um, but even I think it comes down to more about the writing than it does about the historicity. Yeah, I'm sure that there weren't you know, oodles of of female scientists in there, but they put one in there. And even if it even if her comment was somehow to address, you know, the kind of gendered nature, you know, they talk about they're talking about how, oh, it's not good for women to be around the the radiation because it's gonna mess with their uh, reproductive organs. And it and you know, the female scientist makes a quip like, well, yours is a bit more exposed, isn't it? So which is I think a great line. So good. But that cannot be the one good quip about gender in a three, whatever, 13 hour film that it felt like, uh, you know, that that's just unacceptable. And in the very fact that the other, you know, you know, a class a uh, actors, um, you know, most of the time are being portrayed when you know, Florence is, you know, basically naked most of it, most of the film. Um, and then there's this very strange part of the film where it, we move away from Oppenheimer's uh, perspective. Uh, this is a, the, the kind of the final bit of the film when he's being um, interviewed uh, or he's kind of on trial or whatever that is uh, in the back room there. And it switches from her, his perspective when he's describing the affair that he had. Um, and then it goes to uh, Emily Blunt's character, his uh, Oppenheimer's wife's perspective and then she's like envisioning this kind of pornographic yeah, affair and it's just weird because it doesn't belong in the film if it's from Oppenheimer's perspective and it just cuts in and it's such a it's such a gendered such a yeah uh very sexist kind of like that women are only in competition with one another etc and I just found that like very bizarre that they would include that 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 scene I don't know if you guys felt that as well yeah, when that happened, I was like, what is going on? But what I found, what I also found really interesting, I totally agree with everything you've said, Brandon. I appreciate you just naming the talent 
of these women that was basically kind of wasted in this. When Florence Pugh's character came on, Jean, um, I had this strange feeling like I've met you before. And that was where I started to ruminate, even as as I was in the theater on Nolan's women, all of the women in his movies. And I was recognizing like, in some ways that Jean is like Mo, or she's like the, you know, these other women who have appeared in various places in his corpus and how, and here we can actually kind of come to some of the other ties between Barbie and Oppenheimer, because she's almost like an Eve, or at least the like stereotypical representations of Eve, this like temptress, who's like pulling dear Oppenheimer away from his science and his wife and all of that. And um, I just found that to be so unfortunate. But this isn't, you know, I think a, a generous uh, watching of Oppenheimer gives Nolan space for something like what, what you said, John, that he's showing us what a, a world where men rule it looks like, um, because that's all of Nolan's films. Uh, women are always sort of, yeah, negligible. So I don't know. I don't know if y'all agree though. Push back if you if you do disagree. Oh. To be to be clear, when I say showing, I don't mean that uh, Nolan is consciously showing. I, I mean, it it reveals in this kind of in an unconscious way that it just reflects the thing that Barbie is overtly critiquing. And not that not that Nolan is trying to do something clever with gender. I certainly do not think that um, I mean that he he is perpetuating these things is what i is what i mean by showing it so so that barbie is 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 telling on him the same weekend that his film comes out basically is what i'm getting at yeah that makes sense i assumed that was the case but wanted to give you space that is it you can you just elaborate a bit more on on nolan's previous films and some of the women uh, some of the female characters you see there that you know um because I'm just trying to, I'm I'm now trying to rack my brain about all these female characters, and I think to to your point, there aren't very many of them. Uh, number one, and then uh, two, I am thinking like, yeah, they basically are all the same in my mind. But I, but now I'm trying to remember which ones. I think Anne Hathaway's character in in Interstellar probably has the most, yeah, um, development. Um, but other than that, I, I'm trying to. Yeah, but then you add Anne Hathaway in uh, Batman and, you know, as Catwoman, and then we're like right back there. (laughs) So I think that there are exceptions. Yeah, Yeah. I raise (laughs) you one Hathaway. (laughs) (laughs) There are exceptions. And and I regrettably uh, have not watched Tenet yet. So I, but I don't think this is. that there's an exception there. I actually, I was wondering if there was, there was some discourse on this and it was looking around and saw that Tenet was actually, when you kind of Google like Christopher Nolan and women, that Tenet comes up a lot. Um, and so, you know, Inception, definitely the Batman um, saga, I think to some extent prestige, I'm trying to remember who the uh, female character in that is, but you have this almost like is it like a love triangle that's kind of going on there? I mean, I love that movie, um, but it's kind of an interesting situation between, um, uh, yeah, Bale, oh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. 
definitely. So, uh, yeah, just some interesting stuff going on. I, um, I haven't worked through the whole corpus and kind of gone like, yes, you fit my box and you do not. But it just struck me that, um, she felt familiar and, and not because as you say, Florence Pugh is lacking for talent. I mean, she is such a dynamic actor and, um, but I just, I knew her and I actually, I feel like there was, um, I, I think because she was so over sexualized in this movie that it felt like this like repetition on a theme for Nolan that has now like moved into this new era. And so I'm wondering if, as we see more from Nolan, if we're going to continue to see these flat characterizations of women who are more and more um, portrayed in exploitative ways. One of the questions I have is, is, you know, or, or what, at not one of the questions I've have. One of the questions I've seen um, is, you know, how how feminist actually is Barbie? Um, because I've seen a lot of, you know, it's it's a bit like the horseshoe, right? Where you have a lot of really conservative fundamentalist people who are like, Barbie is the most feminist like piece of crap ever, and you know, on the other side, other people hating it just as much, but seeing it as like this is the most sexist piece of literature uh, film ever, and it's just weird that like you can fill a, a a very large theater of people who don't like Barbie because it's either feminist or too feminist, uh, or not feminist enough. Um, and I just wonder if like I don't know what was what were your experiences of the film? Did you feel it? Did you feel that it was feminist uh, enough or not feminist enough? One of my friends and the um and the wife of one of my colleagues, um, she's Deb Reinstra, and she's a an English professor at Calvin University. She writes for the Reform Journal quite a bit, and she recently wrote um something on on Barbie, and I found it quite useful. Um, she basically called it an intro to feminism. And so, you know, those who have been in feminism for decades or for a decade or whatever, there's nothing surprising in Barbie. It's, you know, it's the the monologue from America Ferreira is empowering. You feel seen, all of that, but you're not learning anything. It's articulating what you have known to be true and have observed and in a relatively palatable way. Um, and so in some ways, yeah, I mean, uh, is it radically feminist? No, probably not. Um, especially when we think about, I mean, this is what I commented to Curtis. I think that the, the fact that Barbie puts everything back the way that it was, it, 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 it doesn't allow for the kind of change and, reimagining of the world that is necessary and i and i don't think that's feminist because i mean there are obviously a lot of different ways to be feminist but it's not my way of feminist i want to see the world reimagined in ways where we're collaborating where we're working together where all the best things that are stereotypically attributed to women are the things that rule the world that we're kind to one another and that we're you know that we're still going to the beach and, uh, you know, having parties and all of that, but um, that there's just a, a lot more, I don't know, synergy is the word that's coming to mind, but it's not really the word that I intend. So um, yeah, that's my preliminary answer, I think. 
I hope it makes sense. Yeah, I, I've kind of intentionally not read any reviews of either Oppenheimer or Barbie, partly because I wanted to have this conversation with you two in a, in a fresh way without other other conversations. But I but I appreciate that idea that it, that uh, Barbie's an introduction to to feminism. I personally, um, when I heard that there were a lot of negative reactions, you know, without reading what those were or watching videos or anything like that, I just sort of uh, just, Im- you know, immediately get dismissive because I just think, you know, this is a fun movie. If if you are going to react so strongly like how fragile is your masculinity you know what i mean especially for the 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 men uh on on twitter or whatever who were like oh you know this is this is so sexist against men for example um and and i just i just i don't i don't really have time for that i just think come on caricature is is both good for comedy and for making good points sometimes you know think about snl if snl wants to impersonate somebody with big ears right they're going to put ginormous ears on that person right and it's caricature we know what they're doing we know like what they're drawing attention to and we also know that it's excessive but it's for a point right it's so that we recognize it and that we laugh at it I think there's something similar here with Barbie. Yes, I think that there's some aspects of Barbie that are a little excessive in the representation. Like, for example, I don't see myself represented in a lot of the film, but I don't care that I'm being presented with something that makes it seem like most men are dirtbags. <laughs> it's part it works for the humor, but it also I think works for the point. And I think the point is something that we can we can walk away with even if maybe it was painting it in a perspective that you know we we think is one-sided. I just don't know that that we need to uh get too worked up on, on the opposite end. I think there's a great message here. And it's a it's a it's a fun film. Yeah. Well, so Curtis, I, I told him I, that I told him to call me Barbie and um, he said, are you going to call them Ken? And and I said, sure. And um, he said, well, John's really a little bit more like Alan. And so um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to be. Yeah, which I, is a compliment. I don't, a compliment. Know. <laughs> I don't know that you're Alan, but he I like did mean Michael, it as a compliment. I, I like Michael Sarah a lot, but I don't know that being called Alan is a compliment. No, I, I was like, babe, I was like, I understand that of the men, he is the most exemplary, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but uh, what I was going to add on a more serious note is that um, I think it all like it's also the case that. Um, even like uh, Deb Reinstra's comments about it being an intro to feminism, that doesn't actually have to be a problem because, I mean, think about how many people have felt seen and validated and have even just felt empowered by the discourse of Barbie, the, the women. I, I mean, we as a society need an intro to feminism course. Um, and so I don't think like an accessible format on how to treat women better is is at all a problem. I'm all for it. Let's do more. One of the other great things that Barbie uh, showed was that patriarchy also hurts men. Showing Ken at doing his best to impress uh, Barbie and then trying to surf and getting thrown by the fake waves and, you know, constantly trying to, um, you know, uh, beat out uh, or to to uh defeat his rivals 
whether it be uh, in in uh, surf or in uh, dance. Um, it, it was just it was a, a fun portrayal of, you know, these very silly uh, tendencies um, that patriarchy definitely uh, exploits in both men and women. Uh, and it was a it was a fun way to show that. Um, I was a bit uh, in in the film uh, when they do the song, uh, which I thought was really fun. I really enjoyed the song. And it got stuck in my head for like a week afterwards. It was so so fun. But the way that it that, that it kind of wrapped up, I thought I thought what was going to happen was that 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 him uh, that that um, Ryan Gosling's character and um, Simu Lee Simu Lee is that his, say his name Simu Lee's character. I thought uh, Ryan or Ken's other rival Ken. I thought they were going to like like make up and be like, okay, we don't have to fight. We can just be ourselves. And that was going to be the, uh, the nice meaning, but that it didn't seem to be the ending kind of seemed that that was a possibility, but it, the viewer's attention kind of got swept away to another issue. I don't know if that was just my own viewing in there, but no, I think that aligns with what I was saying earlier, Brandon, that one of the parts of the movie that I really didn't like is that just everything got put back the way it was, as though like Barbie land and the real world both existing in their own spaces is fine. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about it like, you know, I, again, I wanted Barbie land to be like transformed in this like collaborative, like beautiful, like, you know, space with gender parity and whatever. And I don't know if Gerwig like wanted to preserve Barbie land. We're like, this is a place where women rule. We already have the place where men rule. But I just think it would have been more interesting to have that kind of constructive picture. And I think that was true. It certainly felt true for, for the women. Um, but I think you're right that that was true for the men too. Bringing this into juxtaposition with Oppenheimer, it is interesting how Oppenheimer ends with the kind of chain reaction uh, sort of idea of like, we've started something that will basically end with the destruction of this planet, right? You know, you see all those bombs going off across the globe and it's this kind of um, domino effect, essentially, that what Oppenheimer started is an irreversible pathway to annihilation, right? And it, and it's that it's that quote again, you know, now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. It's it's interesting, right? If, if Barbie ends without any kind of, uh, you know, shakeup, uh, the the world more or less stays how it is in Oppenheimer. Uh, yeah, it's this it's this irreversible path. Uh, so so a, a pretty strong contrast at least in that uh, that respect. I think I see where you're going with this. Are you saying you want to repeal the Nineteenth Amendment? I'm sorry, <laughs> you can cut that show. No. <laughs> no. I'm glad we repealed the Eighteenth. Yeah, but but not, not the, I'm not talking there about are, the there are there are many other elements i'd like to uh to repeal before the you're here, here, here. <laughs> yeah no i'm just joking um yeah i totally agree john and um it, it would be interesting to think about and i'd be interested to hear from from you too about how that does relate to discourses about feminism and gender parity um because i think there is an analog in our modern discussions about what it looks like to to grant equal rights and respect and all of that and how that really irrevocably changes the way that we live. Um, yeah. Well, maybe we can assume that 
with Barbie going to the real world or the world where men rule or whatever, right? Um, that the shakeup is starting, you know, that that uh, maybe Barbie is is giving us uh, a glimpse of, uh, you know, what 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 this could could look like potentially um, as she um, infiltrates society with uh, with the good that she has, you know, brought with her from Barbie land. Maybe that's one way to, to think about uh, her her trip to the gynecologist there at the end. Yep. Women's rights. I mean, I think I think it's a great testimony that Barbie did so well because it could have bombed, you know, like there are plenty of movies about toys that did not that didn't work you know um or even i mean uh, i was just thinking about like oh yeah when, have we had good toy movies and obviously we have lego movies things like that but thinking about um gi joe that didn't like do amazing at the there we haven't done a podcast about gi joe you know like it could have gone it could have it could have bombed but it didn't and it was amazing and it was so fun and uh, colorful. I mean, I don't, I think as a film, I was talking to um, my wife about this. It's like, I don't know if I would necessarily want to watch Barbie again or like multiple times, but it was so fun that I might just do that um, just to relive, just because it's fun and I, and I really enjoyed it. But it could have bombed and it didn't. And I think that is a huge testimony to, uh, to not only uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, but uh, everyone who was involved in the film they made it uh they made a, a great film and it did really well uh and hopefully there's more um films by female directors and female writers it could have bombed brandon <laughs> sorry <laughs> oppenheimer bombed but for different reasons one of the things that um oppenheimer makes me think about especially with the ending right with the the kind of this Chain, chain reaction and you know it's going to destroy the whole world eventually right um it makes me think of fermi's paradox you know the 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 idea of like you know especially right now it's it's kind of a little bit in the zeitgeist you know are aliens real right there's the whole conversation about like are some politicians hiding it from us? And there are some whistleblowers who are like, oh, it's totally real, right? And it's I, I know it's come up in some like informal conversation a lot with friends and family about, oh, well, do you think aliens actually exist or whatever? Well, I, I think Fermi's paradox is so interesting, at least as like a, a way to think about the nature of our production of weapons of mass mass uh, destruction uh self-critically and reflectively because what like fermi's paradox is right it's like if aliens exist or maybe the the paradox assumes that aliens do exist right um let's say aliens exist so why um why don't we interact with them right and the paradox is that fact that they exist and yet they're not like on our doorstep or whatever. Right. So what accounts for that? And there's different explanations, right? We don't need to, you know, belabor all the different ones, but one of the kind of explanations for the paradox is that civilizations, advanced civilizations um, don't really sort of uh, outlive their technological adolescence. In other words, like once you get advanced and you start like experiencing the kind of exponential growth, let's say that like we've we've experienced on this planet in the last hundred something years, you know, and of course, compare that to the previous thousands of years, right, where technological advances have been more like crawling, right, compared to the last century, let's say. And so the idea of like 
the precarity of the world wars that we have we had last century the precarity of these bombs that oppenheimer has developed and now like you know major world powers are are developing it's sort of a scary thought right but the idea is like you know fermi's paradox could be solved by this idea that advanced civilizations don't don't outlive their their adolescence because of this very idea right this kind of oppenheimer thing that like once you create these sort of weapons and have this sort of capability the precarity of your sort of uh civilization uh is just it's 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 not survivable and anyways it's something about the ending of the film that i sit with so thinking about the existential angst of oppenheimer right um that's what i sit with is i just feel like oh this is fermi's paradox right in other words like why are we that advanced civilization that hasn't reached out so thinking about it in the other direction like oh snap like you know this is a highly precarious thing and it's it's something that oppenheimer at least uh, makes me sit with uh quite a bit yeah shortly after watching oppenheimer some for some reason or another we watched uh chernobyl the uh the the series uh i forget what it's on but hbo or something um and which is supremely depressing uh, if you haven't watched it, it's, it's very nice. It's very good, you know, series, but it's very depressing. But, it, you know, it's just kind of watching one after the other being like, wow, watch the creation of it. And now watch this like events that, you know, for many people who live through it, uh, you know, this was the end of the world like this. And, and some of the language and rhetoric was like the same amount of radiation released at, you know, Hiroshima is being, you know, exposed uh, or is being produced every hour and will continue to do so for another 50 years or, you know, whatever the, the numbers were. And it's just like, wow, this is insane. That w something we have like unleashed, you know, a, pa a Pandora's box kind of thing of like, we've unleashed this thing and it and it is going, most likely going to kill us and exterminate us all. And that's terrifying. And that is like, do you ever think about death? Yes. Yes. Madison's right every day because we're we're probably all going to die and it's going to be really painful and terrible and there's going to be darkness and existential crises. If if, it, if they if the existential crisis doesn't get you before, you know, uh, the nuclear explosion is you you might count yourself lucky. But I mean, it, it's terrifying. And I think, you know, we have critiqued Nolan's film. I think to its credit, there is this sense of dread that he gives uh he gives oppenheimer that it's not a you know look oh it it could have been oh look how we beat the nazis or look how we you know but but it actually did show a bit of that kind of questioning of like oh we did we already beat the nazis why are we we don't do we need to do this and it's like well someone's gonna do it we we gotta be you know and it, it does it does show this kind of like reasoning of like why are we pursuing this thing that might actually kill us all um i i and i just thought that was a really good um thing to introduce to the film that this like idea that like there might be a small very slim chance that if we press this button it will never stop that i just really enjoy I, I i thought the ending of the film made it a good film you know mm -hmm. a, a worthwhile film to watch that it's like we, we did we did unleash that that monster that can never go back in the box and it probably will kill us all one day yeah i um you're right we have critiqued oppenheimer and 
Um, and I, I do want to be attentive to that or to the fact that I actually, I mean, I, I did think it was a beautiful piece of cinema and I really appreciated the angle that Nolan took, even if I wish he had done X, Y, Z, especially treat women differently in the film. Um, but the discourse throughout the film about power, I found really interesting. And there are the obvious ways that that comes out. And like, you know, we want to create something that can explode the world. Um, but I think that the way you see the politicians, especially like Robert Downey Jr.'s character behaving, the like, uh, you know, those different aspects of the secondary parts of the film it's not just the construction of the bomb but the way that the construction of the bomb takes over public discourse and the treatment of oppenheimer um how communism affects people standing within the community and how it's a really really big deal until you're needed you know to do this other thing and so i just found a lot of that discourse around like manipulation and power and politics and all of that really fascinating at an institutional and individual level throughout the movie one of the things i i have been thinking about is you know uh is that oppenheimer in one sense is it in terms of plot, not very much happens. And it's, you know, it's very boring, right? In scare quotes here. Uh, but Nolan, through the beauty of cinema and his cinema in, in particular, uh, he's able to capture our attentions. And it didn't feel like it was whatever it was, three and a half hours. It would, it, and I could have kept watching, you know. Um, and I just want, and it was just, and it, and it reminded me of another film. Uh, which is a, a Hidden Life by Terrence Malick, which in the, in many ways is actually a very similar film in that nothing happens. It's about one person and their choice. It happens roughly at the same time, uh, a little bit before, um, but happens during World War II. And it is is so interesting because there's so many similar shots uh, between the two films, you know, a lot of landscape shots, a lot of you know, reflecting about, you know, the the, the minutia of, of our life and existence. And, you know, with in Oppenheimer's, it's about, you know, atoms and, you know, stardust and, you know, nuclear explosions and things like that. But for uh, A Hidden Life with Terrence Malick's um, film, uh, which focuses on Franz uh, Jagerstatter, I think his name is, uh, Jagerstatter, um, who is a... Uh, uh, a conscientious objector during World War II, who's a, who's a German uh, or uh, Austrian, I think, um, and he object. He's a conscientious objector that ends up getting himself killed um, for, and he's a conscientious objector because of his Catholic faith. Um, and though obviously these films aren't, you know, referencing one another, et cetera, you know, but putting them into conversation, it it, it may it struck it struck me that. These two filmmakers both have a vision of the world and one that sees dread and destruction uh, and another that sees that like these small moments of resistance can actually tap into that beauty of the world and might, you know, even if it doesn't solve the world's problems, it still is that kind of true response that we might have in the face of existential dread uh and fear of death and i just thought watching the two movies reminded me of of one another i think that's beautiful you know because both these films are 
confronting us with with death with uh existential crises um and i do really like this idea of like one has to do more power dynamics like you brought up madison um with with oppenheimer in particular having the control over death and in, in in some in some way uh as we see with the development of this uh you know just massively destructive bomb uh and then kind of the more human uh cr- crisis of just being mortal uh with barbie um is is a uh yeah really fascinating uh dynamic and thinking about the 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 faith component uh that you just brought up brandon with the hidden life uh yeah i mean with without without that that faith component um the question do you ever think about dying right especially in a nuclear age I, yeah the only way to cope is just to not think about it right is just to to say to answer no and just to continue dancing in barbie land right um so I, I i do think that uh that that's it's great that you brought that example in yeah thanks brandon well barbie and ken this was a delightful conversation <laughs> uh this is alan signing off uh on a <laughs> <laughs> on a wonderful Sorry, <laughs> a wonderful chat about about Barbie and uh and Oppenheimer. Uh thank you both for this conversation. Thanks. Thanks y'all.